Psalm 123, please. Psalm 123, would you pray? Uh, turn there. We'll read and then, then we will pray and dive on into this psalm. Psalm 123. It is my goal to cover all the psalms and then start back over. And so when I'm not in a series, um, not doing a book study or something like that, I like to go there because uh, just the wealth of beauty, but also the comfort and the grace uh, that God gives through His Word, especially in the Psalms. You can almost find just about every emotion uh, that we can ever experience through the Psalms. And so as we look at this, uh, we look to God as He has given his design, d- divine word designed to help us there. So beginning in verse 1, would you follow along as I read? To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of a servant look to the hand of the master, as the eyes of the maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God, until he is gracious to us. Be gracious to us, O Lord, be gracious to us, for we are greatly filled with contempt. Our soul is greatly filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, by your mercy, you've brought us here. Thank you for your word, your holy word by which we have power and strength and guidance and understanding, as we learned last week, and by which we can see who you are. Thank you for who you are. And Lord, as we look for instruction, for guidance, may we not find it outside of looking to you and seeing to you. So God, by your great mercy, give us understanding by the Spirit. Help us to understand your word and so to do it. Which in Christ I pray. Amen. You know, as we read today's headlines, uh, as we see the news, whether it be online or on our phones or in, on TV or print, it's hard not to be discouraged by that news. Uh, from the persecution and death of Christians that we hear overseas to the ridicule of Christians in America, the fall of those who have professed to be Christians, there are many things that discourage us. All these things leave the believer at times discouraged and and really um, downtrodden, just the idea of, we, man, it's hard to go on. But as we look at a psalm such as this, we read in it instruction and help in times when we are discouraged, we are overwhelmed by the things that come our way, we're overwhelmed by those uh, and how they look at the body of Christ. And so this, this evening, I want to walk through this, a psalm that I believe is, will be of great help to us and give us understanding of how to react when maybe there's scoffing, maybe there's contempt, there's arrogance against those of us who are believers and how we are to see them, how, what we are to look at or look upon and how we are to respond. A little background for this. Uh, this psalm, we believe, is a post-exilic psalm. We're not sure, but we do, we're pretty sure that they used it, and we think that it might have been written. So when I say post-exilic, uh, what do I mean? Remember when we studied uh, Nehemiah and Ezra? And the times is ex- exiled. So the children of Israel have been conquered. You know, first Babylonian, Nebuchadnezzar, and then they're, they're taken away. And so this is a post-exilic. When we, we talked about Nehemiah, 
we read, and we're going to go there, I think, uh, a couple passages to look at it. Um, we read of times when they were scorned. And so this is that psalm that is from that area, era, we believe. But it's also, you see the designation on, uh, at the top of verse 1, a song or a psalm of ascent. Okay, so uh, what does that mean? Meaning that they believe that somewhere along the way that this psalm was part of the ones that were sung when they went up to Jerusalem and up to the temple of God to worship. Jewish people as they would go to worship. And that carried on many years past, even to the time of Jesus. These, these psalms were sung as they made their way, the journey, into the house of God. And so you have a kind of a dual understanding of how this was used, when it was used. Now the form is a little different from some psalms. Often a psalm will state the need and then give the answer of how we should react to that need. This one doesn't. It almost gives you the, the, the answer first and the need later. And so we're going to work through verse 1, but notice verse 4, three, uh, second half of 3 and 4, that's when we kind of see why this psalm is prayed or sung or, or thought about in this way. So let's begin verse 1. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. To you I lift up. Now we're talking about whom? About God. To you I lift up my eyes. Number one, look up. Look up. The call is, the remedy to the, for the need that we'll see later is to look up. Now who are we looking up to? We're looking at to God. And notice it says he is the ruler of heaven enthroned in heaven. He is seated on the throne, and by that fact that he's seated upon the throne, he is the ruler. He is the one whose domain is the heaven and the earth, and he sits in power. You don't get, you don't get enthroned on the throne of heaven without being the one who is the ruler of all heaven. So to look up, first of all, to this one, this God who is the ruler of heaven. As you look at that, we see God as ruling. And the second thing to understand is that he is an active participant. See, but the very fact that they're calling on him is, gives us the understanding, the assumption, that this God who rules is an active participant in the affairs of men. So he is the one that we call about, even though his, his realm, is, his heavenly realm is over all, we can call upon him. He is there. He's listening. He hears, he sees. He is always there. When we look heavenward, he is always there. Wherever we are when we look, he is there. Ever thought about that? Wherever we are when we look, God is always there. For those in persecution, in a jail somewhere, in some other country, for those of us in our ease, in our house, in our apartment, God is there. Whenever we look, we look to a God that is there. So you're looking up to that ruler, but verse 2 gives us um, a different aspect of how we look and how we are to gaze, and here as an attentive servant. Let's look at verse 2 and kind of see where we get this. It says, Behold, verse 2, as the eyes of a servant look to the hand of their master, or as, an eye, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of their mistress. Let's understand a little bit about the economy here of, of what's going on. We are to look at God as a trusted servant of the Old Testament. Um, the term a servant uh, is uh, ivid, either a servant, a slave, or an advisor, an official. 
Um, and we're looking at as that person that I read to, he's in service of another. He's looking to that one, that master. Uh, the shifcha, the, the, the female servant, looks to there. The word master is Adon. We think of Adonai, or the Adon. Um, and so we have this idea of gazing. Now, understand the Jewish Old Testament times, generally servanthood was not about race at all. It was more about economics and conquest. Okay, if I, if I conquered your country, and I was the king, or you were the king, then whoever conquered people, they served the conquerors understanding. Now, another occasion in the Jewish economy, if I were a servant, we somehow, I came into debt, and I could voluntarily give myself into the servanture of another, say for a period of time, until my debt was released. Now, if you go back and look at the whole economy, um, you, we knew there were, there were years of jubilee when every, everyone who was a servant was released from the obligation. So you have that understanding. But here, I could willingly place myself into servanthood until I earned enough. Or my debt was so bad, I was placed, <laughs> I was placed into servanthood. And that happened often. Because I owed a master so much that I became the servant. But understand in their economy, there, it wasn't like we think of as a, um, in, in that aspect of servanthood, not like we think of um, slavery in, in the Americas and UK in um, the last two or three centuries. Because in the Jewish economy, there, was def- there were definite obligations. There was obligation of the servant to the master, yes. But in the Jewish economy, there was obligation for the master to the servant. He was obligated to treat him well, to provide for that servant, especially if he was in the household. So here you have a, a picture of maybe of a servant or of a maid in such a household of a master in this Jewish economy that was a caring master. And so you have this gaze of a servant toward the master of watchfulness, of attentiveness. Now whether it was they were walking, watching for, a, and you go through the commentators too, a, a move of the hand and that meant to go you know, start the next course of meal or whatever it is or to do certain things whatever it was that was going on you see a watchful attentiveness to the master and here is the the picture that the psalmist brings toward our looking to God it wasn't just a, a look up and okay I'm done it was a look up of attentiveness of watching of the ruler, the God of heaven. The one that says, I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to miss what he says and, and what he's going to, to, to do and how he's going to work. I don't want to miss that, so I'm watching. I'm looking up. Now, a couple of things that are a benefit of that, for us who are on earth in difficult situations, our gaze is upward when most of the time we want to look down because everything's so bad. This is terrible. And it may be. We read from, in our scripture reading, from Hebrews 11. I don't know about you, but I'm, I, you know, I'm not in the line where it says, I want to be sawn in two for the cause of Christ. I, you know, if that's what God has for me, then I will be obedient and I glorify him through it. But, you know, I'm not going to volunteer. I want the line for being sawn in half. But sometimes the, the slight things that we encounter, we always look down, oh. The gaze is up. It's to look up with attentiveness. 
the attentiveness of a servant who watches the master. He says, Behold, as the eyes of the servant look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of the maid to the hand of the mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God, Yahweh, our God. And is watching, but notice another thing here. Until he is gracious to us. Because God's timing is not always our timing. Have you ever noticed that? We have our clock. Okay, we want it now. Lord, we, we, we cry out to God. I heard a guy, a guy talking this week, uh, a pastor talking about his book. And he said, all, a lot of our prayers are as soon as possible, ASAP. He said, I learned to pray, it's a significant period of my life, to as long as it takes. To wait for God, to pray, to continue to pray, as long as it takes. Because in that, that faith of watching a God, who is the ruler of heaven, is how God works in us, and he is praying. Look, our eyes look to the Lord our God until he is gracious to us. The word for gracious is, is in, interesting. Some translations may have mercy. Some have gracious favor. The idea really is of favor, of a gracious kindness. He says, our eyes look to the Lord until he, he, he is gracious. He shows favor to us, gracious kindness to us. You ever found yourself in a time where you're continuing to look up? Maybe you've looked down for so long you haven't come to that time where you're looking up. It's usually a a glance up, but not gazing at God, not watching to see what he does. Now, I'm not talking physically with our eyes. Our head's always up. Get that crick in your neck. But the eye of of a believer, the spiritual eye, are watching for God, for his movement to and beseeching him, calling out, To you I lift up my eyes, you who have enthroned in the heaven. See, we're so tempted to look down. We have every excuse that we make for ourselves to look down, but not to look up. Number one is look up. Look up. Look at verse 3. Be gracious to us, O Lord. So he begins his, his call. So he's looking up, and now he's calling out. Be gracious. Show, same word, show favor, gracious kindness or favor to us. O Lord, O Yahweh. Now understand when, when they use that, as John mentioned this morning, that implied to the children of Israel, it's the name that God gave to them to call his name. It implies a personal connection of obligation of, of that master-servant relationship where they called out to him, but he also looked upon them with favor and he had obligations to them. Be gracious to us, O Lord. Be gracious to us. And that calling out, crying out to the Lord. Say, so why would I need to cry out to God? Because he's our God, doesn't he supposed to know what I need already? He desires that fellowship. When we cry out to God, when we look up to God, we necessarily look away from ourselves and away from other things and other people. When we call out to God, we're placing our faith and our trust uh, on a daily basis toward him and not upon ourselves. We're not saying, oh, friend, could you help me? Or someone, could you help me? But God... 
we're acknowledging God is our only help. And any help that we get on earth is through Him. Be gracious to us, O Lord. Be gracious. And here starts the, the, the need of the, the psalm. For we are greatly filled with contempt. Just for taking notes, I'll go to the slide here. The call, the request is for favor, God's gracious kindness, but greatly filled with content, contempt. The Lexham Bible translation on this says, For we have had more than enough, that greatly filled with contempt. For we have, instead of, you know, I don't know about you, when I'm greatly filled, usually at mealtimes, I feel pretty good. This is not what he's saying. We've had more than enough. Hey, it's too much. We're filled. We've had too much contempt. He uses this phrase again. Our soul is greatly filled, or we've had more than enough with the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. And here we see the psalmist, in the reverse order, as I mentioned, the psalmist coming to the, why he's calling out, why he's crying out, and why he's lifting up his eyes. He said, my soul, look at the people who are calling out against this child of God. Um, first in verse 3, they're greatly filled with contempt because he is a child of God. Okay, the follower of God here in this, this economy of following Yahweh. And so there's contempt on him. He's had more than enough of people being contemptuous because he's following God. Here, scoffing of those who are at ease. Okay, not only are they have contempt, they're scoffing at him. They're scoffing. And with the contempt of the proud, there's arrogance there all wrapped in this. Um, let's look at Nehemiah. Turn to Nehemiah. <clears throat> and, oh, there's so many places. Um, well, let's go to chapter th- and the one I wanted the best. Let's go to chapter 4. Um, here, here's what happened. Nehemiah comes into land. You remember that when we studied this. Nehemiah comes into the land um, from, I mean, he was in the, the, he was high up in the king's palace. And he was, um, so he gets special dispensation to come to the land. And as he comes, he walks around the wall, he surveys the damage, and he desires to, to, to God's laid on his heart to rebuild the wall of, walls of Jerusalem. So he does. Well, the people who have been living there um, have been doing okay without God, without God's people. So chapter 4, you have some of this. Now, it came about, verse 1, when Sanballat, don't name your child that, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? They weren't trying to finish. Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? And Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and said, Even what they were building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break the down the stone wall. So you see how, the, how, they're, <laughs> how they're mocking him. And here's the idea. If we think about this, if it indeed this was a, a post-exilic, they're coming back to the land, a post-exilic psalm. They're enduring the, scoff, enduring the scoffing and the contemptuousness of these people like Sambal and Tobiah. And you look at this next verse here in Nehemiah 4, verse 4, what does he do? He calls out, Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads. Okay? 
verse 9, but we prayed to our God. Because of them, we set up a guard during the night. It goes on. Verse 15, when our enemies heard about it, uh, it was made known to us that God had frustrated their plans, and all of us returned to the wall, each one to work. Um, you go all the way through this. Um, you see people scoffing, mocking. Arrogance of the proud. Those are at ease. Now, remember, as we read, there was one place where um, this one who was not supposed to be in temple. He's living in the temple. They had invited him to come in. They're living in ease. The money uh, that's going to the temple is going out to people who, who don't deserve it. And they're living in relative e- of ease, and they're scoffing. These people who are not following God are scoffing at, at those who are. And so here is the need that arose that from, from this need was born this song. Those who are scoffing against the child of God, those who are con- looking at them with contempt, and those who are proud and arrogant. You know, it's interesting. Um, in our time, we tend to take it personally. We tend to take any kind of thing, and we're in a Western culture, which is, you know, usually people just give us bad looks instead of anything serious. We take it personally. He says here, our soul is greatly filled with scoffing of those who are at ease. And indeed, it was. They've had more, more than enough of this. But the answer is not to get angry. It's not to return contempt with contempt. It is not an eye for an eye or to mock back or to smite back with a vengeance. The answer is in the psalm is to call out and to look up to God. To ask for God's favor, for his graciousness. If we aren't focused on God, when others scorn us for being followers of God, when others hold us in contempt, we're going to be discouraged. We're going to look down and not up. You know, a lesson for the church in general is this idea of where do we look? To whom do we look? Even as believers, do we seek to right the wrongs done to us? Do we resort to vengefulness? Do we allow the arrogance of those who oppose God to hide our own view of God? Are we distracted by the, the words of others? Are we so sensitive that we, instead of looking up, we look down and we look to get back? Or do we keep our focus on our God? Notice the first and foremost thing about this psalm is the focus upon God. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's one of the psalmists, how God is working, put the need at the end and the call to look at God at the beginning. I'm not sure, but the focus must always be upon God. This God who rules the heavens. Nothing is outside of his control. For the believer, nothing touches the life of the believer that God does not allow. Wow, I don't like those bad things. We heard this morning in testimony of John um, Hutchison as he, as he spoke this morning, the testimony of the young man who was shot in the classroom by his own student. There he come miles and miles away. And the work that God did in opening up that community because of the death of this young one. Oh, that's tragic. That's terrible. God does great things through tragedy. 
He rules in heaven. There's nothing outside. He delights in using our weakness for his glory. This God who rules in heaven does give favor. Sometimes we don't feel as though we can pray to God. I'm a child of God. I know Jesus is my Savior. But man, I don't deserve his favor. Well, you didn't deserve salvation. And fortunately for all of us who know Christ, salvation is not based upon what we deserve because we deserve hell. But in God's goodness, his gracious favor to us. And so to come, the obligation of a master, the God, the ruler of of the heavens, we can go to him because he has an obligation to us and we are his child. We who are our bad parents have times of favor that we give to our children. We understand instinctively that we should. We don't always do well at it, but we understand instinctively how much more will our Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask, to those who are His. God does give favor. He invites for us to call upon Him for that favor. This is our God. This is the God that rules in heaven. But if we understand our God, we understand that this God transcends our trials. This God transcends our trials. The work that he is doing in our lives and in this world transcends our trials. Now say we place ourselves in the the economy of the psalm, the time here, and say we're doing what is right, but we're still getting scoffed and, and rebuked and, and mocked for this. The work that God is doing, His plan for this world, His plan for our lives, it transcends our trials. And, it, and another addition for us to understand, it transcends our the scorners. He is greater than those who would, who would cry out against the one who is following God. Understand? They do not have power over him. So our God who rules, who gives favor, the God who transcends all of our trials, and they do come. Now in the form of persecution, of ridicule, they come in trials of of health. They come in in many different ways. This, This God transcends those And so as he is above those, he's the one to whom we go when we experience those trials. This God sits in heaven, and he's not absent from his throne. He's there, and he invites us to gaze, to look up to him, to place our eyes and our attention and our focus on this great God in rapt attention, to not get distracted from the things that are going on, but to keep on His way, to follow Him. He invites us to look up, and then He invites us to call out. So the message of the psalm is our God. Look up. Call out to Him. He invites us. He welcomes us. I don't know what might be discouraging today. But I know that life is often discouraging. Sometimes just the sheer um, 
busyness of our day that we are worn down. Other times it's things that come our way, sometimes by our own hand and sometimes not by our own hand, as we follow God. But I do know that God is in his heaven. I do know that God rules. I do know that God cares. I do know that God calls us to look up to him and to call out to him. I encourage you this week to follow God, to be attentive to him, to look to him, and to call out for his gracious favor. He is the God who rules. He is the God that gives favor. Look up, call out. Let's bow for prayer. Oh God, I pray that with the eye of faith, we look up in hope to you. We have hope because we are your children. But more importantly, we have hope because you are our God. Oh God, may we pray knowing that you rule all. May we pray and watch with rapt attention as we do your holy will. Oh Lord, may we look up and call out to you. May we see you as you rule and reign. May we understand the power of that you display. Lord, may we call out to you. Lord, may we be in the work that you have called us to do. May your glory reflect, be reflected in our lives. May others see you through us. And Lord, give us favor as we live lives that are patterned after Jesus. Give us favor in, in our friends our neighbors, our co-workers, may they see Jesus through us. Give us favor that we might have the opportunity to show gospel love to them. Lord, come what may, may we continue to look up. And Father, may we be worthy of suffering for you. Lord, if you call us to that, may we continue to look up and to call out, knowing that you will be glorified through our lives. So may may we live that life for you. Thank you, O Lord, that you rule, that you are our God. Thank you. We love you. May you be seen in us. Christ, in we pray. Amen.